Design Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host, and we have a real special guest tonight, Dr. Barry Corey, who is the president of Biola University. Yes, you've heard of that, and he's previously served as vice president, chief academic officer of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He has a great book. It's called Love, Kindness, Discover the Power of a Forgotten Christian Virtue. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Great to be on your show. Well, I see in the back it says, when did Christians stop being kind? I wonder if other people have asked that question. And I have a feeling since you're the president of a very well-known seminary, either you got tired of people having so much attention at the perfect doctrine and asking yourself, you know, are we really being as kind as we can be? We have the theology down. What was the impetus of your book? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, one is that here I am in Southern California at this vibrant university of over 6,000 students who are, you know, committed to serving Christ, making a difference in this world. And, and I just see that sometimes in our culture, um, Christians can buy into the vitriol and the acrimony and the, uh, the, uh, the foot stomping and the fist shaking, uh, on issues where there are some pretty deep divides in our culture. And, I've been arguing for what I call life with a firm center and soft edges. In other words, firm center, like have some deep convictions about what you believe biblically and the way in which God intended things to be. But but try by leading first with, with winsomeness, with kindness, with grace. And a lot of that comes from just the way in which Jesus was, right? Or the way in yes. which um, God called his people to be. That we always need to be prepared for, you know, the faith that we have and argument for the cause of Christ. But we do so with gentleness and respect. You know, the um, the epistle uh, writer um, lays out for us, or even um, you know, Micah, who that very famous you know line where he says he has shown you, follower of God, what does the Lord require of you but to 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 do justice and to love kindness. It really means to love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God, and, and by love kindness, it's it's different than like like doing kindness and some you know just do it Nike esque kind of way. <laughs> yeah. But it's really about living this profound life of kindness. And kindness, my point is, kindness is not a, a random act, Michael. It's a radical life, and it's hard and it's countercultural, and sometimes we get rejected. But um, God calls us to these lives of profound kindness and i think that in this day and age Mm. there's more hatred more division more um yelling across the aisle than ever before and we've seen it in politics we've seen it in media we've seen it in uh on 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 social um sites and blogs and that that there's something about kindness that that is powerful and radical that and, and, and sometimes we mistake kindness for niceness. Niceness is, is bland, and niceness is what I would call like soft edges in a soft center. But, but kindness is radical, and, it, and it, can, it can reconcile families, and it can um, bring down walls of division. It can even um, unite nations. I think kindness has an incredible power that we have, and we have sometimes defaulted towards yelling and, and <laughs> fish shaking rather than 
breaking bread with somebody, even someone who has deep disagreements with us. Yeah, that's true. I used to get used to that whole, you know, kind of Baptist fish shaking and all that. And then the older I get, you know, it just is nice when people talk to you kind of uh, not in that pulpit voice, but just kind of with love and uh, and humility and so forth. There's a place for it all. But um, you really think there is a lack of love in politics? <laughs> well, um, so if I look again, Micah 6, 8, it doesn't say to have the perfect doctrine or to be right all the time. It says to do justice and to love kindness and talk humbly with your God. And I thought about your book as far as, you know, who's the kindest person I ever met? And I would say my Nana. You know, people have a grandma, I have a Nana. And for you, it was your dad who was a pastor and you talked so kindly of him. And tell us a little bit about him. So my father's a, a, a small frame Canadian preacher um, who was in the Pentecostal tradition, and but he had this incredible ability, Michael, to to make himself receivable to people. Um, he would hug the Islamic gas station attendant. He would pray across the counter with the cobbler who was an Armenian old man, and he one time he had the audacity to to go up to the furniture merchant named Reuben in Worcester, Massachusetts, where where we lived. And he held Reuben's face in his hand and he said, Reuben, I love you. And I was mortified. And as a child, my father would do these really awkward, what hmm. I considered, um, things around people when he was um, with them to kind of express the fact that he, he wanted to know that the, that the love of Christ in him was – was was real and um but i was i was really uh, kind of put off by it as, as a child or i'd roll my eyes or i'd you know slink down in the back seat of the car or whatever when he would do that but when i was when i was going through um this period of my life in my 20s i i, I moved to, uh, overseas i lived in bangladesh i was kind of finding myself and and living among the rural poor there my father came to visit and i loved my dad he was a great man and and when he came to visit, um, I was trying to make sense of, you know, very crowded, oppressed, poor nation. And my father and I went for a walk one morning. This is – I tell a little bit about this in the book. The book is filled with stories of where I've witnessed kindness, and it's an easy read. It's, you know, just – it's a it's – it's just a – lots of narratives in the book. But mm-hmm. I tell the story about when this – one morning we were walking through these – streets of, of, of the capital of Bangladesh and the, it was crowded and there were rickshaws going here and there and beggars and just the poverty was was omnipresent and and he started talking to me about this passage in Matthew chapter 10 it's right after Jesus talked to his disciples and it's right after he tells his disciples that if you, if you want to you know, you know follow me then pick up your cross and deny yourself and then he says to his disciples these words my father's telling me this he says Jesus says to his disciples whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And he said, Barry, I don't really fully understand what Jesus meant, but this I do know that whoever God places in my path, I need to make myself receivable to them. And it was like this cascading moment of memory flashing before my eyes then of the Islamic gas station attendant that he would hug and the the, the cobbler that he would pray over the counter with and Reuben, the furniture mer- merchant, who told he told him he loved him, that my father wasn't being weird. He was, he was being receivable. And this is 
this is fundamentally what kindness is. It doesn't mean we'll be received because we sometimes we'll be rejected, sometimes we'll be ignored, sometimes we'll be given the fist or the finger or whatever, but it does mean we need to make ourselves receivable. And it's easy to, to be kind you know, when people like you. Like when, when the barista gets your latte right, right? It's easy to be kind to her or when there's harmony in your family. But when there's tension... We had something like that here in Fort Lauderdale. Someone who uh, lost a big business deal. He was an architect because he yelled at the barista for getting it wrong. <laughs> no kidding. See? Tell him. Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we, um, we've we had actually some people that were very kind from Biola University, from your alumni. Uh, does Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz ring a bell or the former tennis champion Michael Chang? Oh, yeah. Michael was on our board for uh, for a number of years. Uh, he just came back. I heard from, from the Australian Open. Yeah, and there – I mean, I think when the, when the book says, like, why we lost this virtue of kindness, like, so many haven't. But my, my plea for this book is that we cannot co-opt to the, the tactics of culture that we need to um, be speaking into these echo chambers of people who just agree with us. We need to kind of put down the bullhorn and uh, and and you know and pick up the phone or you know walk over to the neighbor's house or or reach out to those who maybe don't agree with what we stand for and say hey how about if we have a meal together or how about if we uh, have a conversation well you know something i know that being in seminary and you know i was in seminary too and there's a big you know, emphasis and getting the answers right. Obviously, you want to do well in school, you know, but uh, that kind of gets to after a while where, you know, to be kind, sometimes we get into the habit of thinking we have to be right. We have to get the right answers and we have to know enough. But um, I guess the ones who really continue to make it in ministry are the ones that understand that it's that love of Jesus and maturing into that person. How has your life matured where, you know, you have ended up being more kind as time went on? Well, let me uh, tell you a very fresh story. This isn't even in the book, but um, many people who have been following California politics this past year realize that there has been a uh, kind of fundamental threat to religious freedom in California at faith-based colleges and universities because um, legislators in Sacramento um, who don't agree with um, our understanding of sexual ethics uh, have introduced some bills into um, into California State House to basically make it very difficult for us and put conditions on on the ways in which we can operate and it was a really a tough year last year uh, for all of us and uh, and one of the uh, one of the bills that was pretty severe that didn't pass another bill did pass but through this crazy circumstance that I don't have time to get into, Michael. Um, I had a chance to um, have a meeting with the author of one of those bills. Um, he's a very prominent LGBT leader in, in Sacramento. He's an assembly member. And uh, through that conversation, he ended up coming to Biola. And we've had um, many talks since then. We've had a meal together. And what's come out of that is we understand where we have some pretty deep differences, but we also understand there's areas of common good that we can work on together. And and the point is, how can we be better listeners rather than better shouters? And I listened to him, and I heard some of his perspectives that I really hadn't 
probably given him as much attention to as I had in the past. And then he came here and he listened to me and he met some students and faculty and he has a different view of things as well. And, and I believe there's something that kindness calls us to listen, not listen while waiting to respond, but listen while wanting to learn. And we can do that without giving up our deeply held biblical values. That's why I keep coming back to firm center and soft edges. And I think Jesus was this way. I mean, he, oh, yeah. he to those who, who maybe were marginalized or who had strong disagreements, and, and he did so with a, an incredible sense of grace. But the Bible says Jesus came full of grace and full of truth, not half of each. And it, we need grace. And I was at Chuck Colson's memorial service. He, he had become this dear friend of mine. And, and, and when I was there, someone said that, that, that those, the, the virtues of grace and truth, that without truth, grace can be deceptive. And without grace, truth can be debilitating. And how do we live lives of, of truth, firm center, right? And grace, soft edges. And sometimes, sometimes, Christians can say, you know, I've got this firm center, therefore I have to have a hard edge, and I'm going to fight for what I believe in, and 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 and, and argue, and 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 some and maybe that works sometimes, but I think at other times that can be counterproductive. That we don't have to give up on our firm center if we lead with our soft edges. I really agree with that, and yeah, I think that that hot subject, if you will, of same sex, of well, you know, homosexuality and same sex marriage and all that, and uh, I think the biggest beef that people have is that that they're easily discarded of in the church rather than understood or trying to be understood or at least having some sort of. Uh, you know, amicable uh, well, conversation at least. And do we throw throw those folks out sometimes? You know, I think that um, I think that sometimes we do. I think sometimes we um, we have um, not treated those with same sex attraction um, with the kind of kindness that Christ calls us to. And I think we. We don't maybe don't have a good theology of singleness and about spiritual friendship and intimacy doesn't have to be sexual. Intimacy can be deep friends. And how are we forming um, friendships and living in community with one another um, while maintaining an understanding of sexual ethics the way God's word has called us to? Um, I've this isn't in my book either, uh, Michael, but I've been thinking recently about what is the opposite of kindness. And for a while, you know, you just. Well, it's meanness. If you're not kind, you're, you're mean. But I actually think the opposite of kindness, the more I've been thinking about it, isn't meanness. I think it's fear. I think we're, you know, we're afraid of the immigrant. Makes we're sense. Afraid we're afraid of the gay person. We're afraid of the Supreme Court. We're afraid of Hollywood. We're afraid of the president. Whatever it is. that, And, and because of our fear, um, we lash out and we are anything but kind. But God's word says like we have nothing to fear. Yeah, and, and, and he says perfect and, love cast yeah, out all fears. So that's really the uh, the full circle on that one. It is. If, if that drives out fear, then then what are we what are we afraid of? And if we're afraid of being rejected, if we're kind, well, that's ego. That's that's not kindness. You know, Jesus says you are the aroma of. Paul says you are the aroma of Christ. So smell like Jesus. He says to some you're the smell of life, to others you're the smell of death. But you. You need to smell like Jesus. Not everyone is going to accept you. So when you live this life of radical kindness, um, sometimes you'll be accepted, 
Sometimes you'll be rejected, but you'll never be forgotten because there's something powerful about kindness that plants a seed in even that other person's life that might have walked away from your kindness that I believe that seed's going to germinate one day. Maybe you'll never see it, but kindness is so uh, powerful and it's so underestimated. Mm. If you live radically that way, how the world can be can be changed. And I, I agree. The, the more I see it, the more I believe it, the more we need it. Yeah. And I started thinking, really, again, who was the most kind person in my life? And my nana, and I thought, why? You know? And she met a lot of the requirements in your book. Now, she was a Jewish lady who didn't know Jesus, but it, just as far as on a, just a purely, you know, kindness level, as far as being receivable and, and all the things uh, that you mentioned, and it, it left a lasting legacy and impression, just that kind of kindness. And, you know, getting back to same sex marriage, once again, homosexuality sexuality. Uh, you mentioned in your book that really the love of God leads us to repentance. And so there was a little bit of a riff where you were actually talking with other presidents of seminaries, and I'm not sure exactly what it was. I think you mentioned that somehow good deeds, there was a fear of good deeds replacing evangelism in seminaries. And you mentioned that just doing good things isn't just in and of itself, but in a sense, it's God's love. And uh, showing God's love leads to repentance. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So you go to Romans 4, and and, and Paul has this, this piece in the early verses just about, you know, don't be very, don't be judgmental people. And then he says in Romans, um, um, actually Romans 2, verse 4, that God's kindness leads to repentance. It's not our judgment. It's not our, um, our grandstanding, but it's God's kindness through us that leads to repentance. And the more I thought about that, Michael, it's not just God's kindness through me that leads someone who might not be living right to repentance, but God's kindness through me leads me to repentance because it shows me um, my own insecurities, my my own hang-ups, my own fears, um, my own sinful nature, that as I lean into God's kindness, because like, what was the most powerful act of kindness in human history and it was the cross oh yeah the cross is this like rugged bloody dark symbol but the cross was the most profound moment of kindness because god through christ did for us that we cannot do for themselves and we for ourselves and and that is that's he made himself receivable some will receive him and some will choose not to receive him but he made himself receivable in the ultimate sacrifice and so so God's kindness actually points to the cross, and the mm-hmm. cross is the you know ultimate you know moment of, of 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 where repentance takes place. So it it so when your grandmother lives that life of kindness, I mean that's God's common grace through her mm. that, that is imprinted on our heart. And when you lean into kindness, um, I think kindness makes you a better dad, you know, a better boss, a better employee, a better neighbor, a better student. There have actually been um, studies that have been done that have nothing to do with the theology of this, that, that uh, time, kindness um, helps you live longer, helps you be healthier, it helps you um, um, uh, have a more positive outlook on life. Uh, um, and there's, I mean, these are like major studies that have been done that, that I think, because I think kindness like takes away your anxieties. And I agree. Helps you live in a way that it doesn't matter how you might be perceived, you're just going to live the way Jesus called us to live and that is you know love God who's who is ultimately and eternally kind 
and therefore love your neighbor with mm-hmm. that same kind of kindness to which God loved us. And you mentioned that as far as kindness, that it's not always well received. It could be awkward sometimes. And, you know, we're going to do it, not if it's popular, but because it's the right thing to do. And it's interesting when you think about it, only because we don't talk about loving kindness in the church. And so that's why this is kind of radical in a sense, although, you know, Jesus did say, you know, love one another. I give you a new commandment here. Um, there are a lot of things that get in the way, though, of kindness. And of course, it goes contrary, uh, counterintuitive to this world that, uh, you know, do it to them before they do it to you. And, and nobody's kind. I won't let that person in in a parking space or uh, <laughs> and but also pride that you mentioned of being a seminary president. You have carte blanche, you know, if you will. Uh, uh, a lot of times you're given certain um, uh, priorities and uh, and people treat you a certain way. You know, you mentioned like the rabbi and, and the best seats in the house and so forth. So you you were very humble about that, saying, you know what, if I'm not careful, pride might get in the way here. And there, there you are at Dodger Stadium throwing out the very first ball where you're hearing throwing out the first pitch, you know, and then announcer voice. And um, that must have been exciting, though. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, that... When, when you talk about kindness, this is kind of an interesting thing, Michael, is that kindness is well, I, I, kindness is more the opened-up life than the buttoned-up life. And sometimes we think, well, especially in Christian leadership, we've got to show that we have our act together, that, that, that we're flawless, that we're, you know, we, we, we are in leadership and we've got these impeccable credentials. But, boy, that's just not – that's just not – True. I mean, because none of us has, you know, our you know our life all together. So, so I felt like kindness means we really have to be willing to lean in to be more transparent with other people. And I thought about this when I was writing the book, and I actually felt convicted that that I needed to actually be more open in the book about my own stuff. And I actually talk about some of my own challenges and my own insecurities and my own hypocrisy. Um, that gets in the way of kindness, and I'm pretty candid about it uh, as I wrote that book. And maybe that, that's one of the things I think people respond most as who have read the book to say, "Wow, you're you're pretty uh, like open." But I just feel like that that's what God has called us to be. It's it's the opened up life, not the buttoned up life, and mm-hmm. it's not it's not like spilling everything out there. But it's just saying, like, you know what? I've got some real challenges. Every every year, I take um, ten new students, these guys up to Yosemite, and we spend about three days together, and and uh, and, we, and we climb, and it's uh, these switchbacks up Yosemite in the exposed August sun, and it's hot, and it's brutal, and we have these big packs on our back, and and but throughout the, this weekend together, I have them tell their stories, and, and I tell my story, and, and, and he's, and these students are just like, like, opening up about their challenges and about their dreams and and I do the same thing and and I've created such a bond with these guys over the years and they don't respect me any less for my role as president of Biola University they don't you know they don't you know treat me like a buddy buddy thing but they but but they they've I've let them enter my life and I think that's not always easy for us to do in leadership because we we don't want to show our flaws mm-hmm. but I think this is what kindness calls us to do it's transparency it's vulnerability it's acknowledging our hypocrisy um it's being willing to be rejected and saying you know what that they rejected my kindness but but god still loves me uh it's it is a radically different paradigm of how we should live our lives and 
kind of I lay it out in, in, in through lots of stories in this book in a way that that has actually hopefully helped me um, be a better leader and a better father and a better husband and a better neighbor and you know you know a better citizen a better voter. Well, I think that when you come to the church and you talk about again, we really get into that sermon, you know, the worship music, and we should, you know, it's beautiful, and and then we talk about the the, the word of God, but. There is a disconnect. Many people will say when they go into church, I'm just being honest because we're all sinful you know, people, say by the grace of God, that after that 30-second handshake, people somehow lose interest in one another, and, and people just kind of go about their own ways. And um, I, I do wish that the church tend to be more receivable uh, toward uh, the outcasts, if you will, the least of these. And people felt more of that love, that, that they would be loved no matter what, just like Jesus loved people no matter what. And um, now this is kind of a loaded question, though, but uh, how do you feel about Joel Osteen? About- <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I met Joel once. He seems like a really n- nice guy. I, I actually haven't read any of his books, but or I, he seems very kind. I shouldn't say nice because I just told you. Like, <laughs> nice. Well, the reason yeah. I mention him is that, you know, he gets a lot of flack from people. Uh, but one thing that I have to say that when I see him on television is that he seems to exude the kindness and the love of God. And I think that a lot of people are drawn to that because they do see a lot of the, the fist pumping, if you will, and, and all that. And um, I think that if we saw more of that love, then perhaps we would be more drawn to Jesus. I mean, that's why he says to love one another, and you'll know that uh, we are his disciples. That's so true, and I and I and I and I believe, you know, again, what I said earlier that you know we're called to be serious about God's word. We're called to 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 think biblically about all of life. This firm center, our deep convictions that are steeped in the way God intended things to be, and and you know certainly uh, articulated in in Scripture. And, and we have that firm center, but but we lead with grace, and we lead with lead with kindness, and we lead with love, and we don't put on steel-toed boots to to kick Jesus into our culture or the heresy out of our brother, but we take off our shoes and we walk barefoot, which is a very position Jesus' disciples took when he said, "I'm going to wash your feet, so take your shoes off now. You go and do likewise." And there's something gentle and and faithful about kindness that leaves a lasting impact mm-hmm. on people. And kindness doesn't mean weakness. Kindness doesn't mean spineless. But kindness, you know, means we're living like Jesus, and let's do it more. Yeah, and we can fool ourselves a little bit, you know, by being legalistic in our own way. You mentioned that because sitting next to you on the plane was an Orthodox Jew, and he was well. He had to put away his phone, and the flight attendant came by and said, "Sir, you got to put away your phone." He didn't want to comply with that, and you tell this very descriptive story that finally she really <laughs> gave it to him and said, "No, no, no, you need to do it now." And finally, he he did it uh, unwillingly, and you kind of talked to him because you saw him with a prayer shawl and praying, and and you said, "Hey, you know something? You're able to follow these laws, or you're trying to follow these laws." But how come you didn't follow the laws of the flight attendant right there? And then you began over a steak dinner to think about, am I a legalist, you know, and some of our own ways as Christians? Can you talk about that? Yeah, so, you know, you explained the story pretty well where this Orthodox Jewish man sat next to me and didn't turn off his phone when the flight attendant told him to. And then he got up to to pray in the little galley kitchen uh, right there with his yarmulke and his 
uh, phylacteries and his prayer shawl. And I just asked him, I said, wow, it seems like you were, you had two different ethics. One about, you know, you're doing the religious thing right, but doing the other thing not right. And so he actually, he was a little defensive at first, but it led into a, like a thoughtful conversation that we had. We talked the rest of the way to LaGuardia and then out to the, to the terminal. But then when I was telling a friend the story that night, probably being a little critical about my neighbor on the plane, um, my friend asked me a question and it made me think, you know what, like, like I, I am a religious man and people see me as being religious like I saw that guy as religious. Mine might be by my title or by, by praying over a meal or by a bumper sticker on my car or by, you know, you know, the Bible I carry. But, but, and, and so I think we're held to a higher standard as if we say we are, you know, religious followers of God that we better be living it. And, and, and if we're not living that way and we're living some kind of hypocrite, critical life that is so toxic to the gospel so kindness calls us to not live um one way and and then declare ourselves to be you know spiritual in another way but it's that authenticity that i was talking about earlier and if that guy on the plane had basically said you know i'm really sorry i shouldn't have done it i i messed up because kindness isn't perfection it's it's honesty so it's not like we have to, you know, live this life without any flaws, but just be honest about who we are and the mistakes that we've made. And, and that is a great witness to the world. And these are all dimensions of, of kindness, of, of living a, a life that has, um, is, is willing to be shared with others, making yourself receivable, um, loving the least, um, um, being, um, being kind of generous with your time, sharing a meal with those who differ from you, inviting those to your home that are unlike you, who's maybe had disagreements with you or, or don't see eye to eye on issues of politics and, and just welcome them into conversation and allow the kindness of God to, to change your heart and theirs as well. Mm. So do you invite a lot of students over your home or how does that work? <laughs> oh, yeah, we watch a lots of, lots of company at our house and my wife, Paul and I are trying to live this out, um, by, you know, having those to our home that maybe stories are a lot different uh, than ours. And you know what? It's so rich and invigorating, even for our children to hear the stories of others and, and um, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the challenges that they've faced, what they've overcome and the dreams that they have. It's, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to live this radically kind life. And I have so far to go, Michael, from where I am right now. But um, I'm on a pilgrimage, and we're all on a pilgrimage, and that pilgrimage um, towards living lives of more profound kindness, I think, is going to lead us to be more like Jesus. And one last question. If we all could be kind, what would uh, the church look like? What would Christians look like in this world? Uh, you mentioned even in positions of government or science and that we really should have that kind of impact all across the nation, all across the world, and our kindness should be known. But what would it look like if everyone was kind? Yeah, so, you know, kindness is on the short list of Paul's fruit of the Spirit. So it's not it's not an option. It's a mandate. You live a life of kindness. And if, if we really leaned into kindness like the Bible calls us to and it's modeled throughout the ages of radical Christians who have lived that way um, – our world would be turned upside down, and, and, and I think there would be this incredible you know, revival of the Spirit of God as we live the, the, the fruit of the Spirit of kindness in ways unlike ever before. And I just, you know what, in Washington, D.C., and Sacramento, and Hollywood, and, the, and on Wall Street, and our neighborhoods, and our schools, if we live that way, the world would be a much different place, different place because we're living the attribute 
that points to God. Mm-hmm. Well, well said. And of course, in the back of your book, it says, when did Christians stop being kind? When Christians are no more for our outrage than our kindness, we have a problem. It says it right in the back of uh, your book here. Thanks for giving us so much to think about, you know, Christians as we grow. And again, the book is called Love Kindness, Dr. Barry Corey, and he is the president of Biola University. He's previously served as vice president and chief academic officer of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Thank you so much for being on the program. You're welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for having me.